Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. It's good to be here. My name is Carl, as Paul just said, um, and I'm stoked to be here. I'm just making sure I've got everything. Oh, yes, my, my new timer. I'm going to have a timer. Yeah, had some, you know, I hear some chuckles out there. I hear some chuckles out there. I hear some claps. All right. There we go. Stopwatch begins. Beautiful. My name is Kyle. Sometimes I preach long. So this is the, the new me, everybody. Um, so Philippians is going to be kicking off next week. And that's going to be great. As I say, what's quite cool about it for, for people preaching is you get to pick a text out of a whole chapter and just sense God on what he wants to say from that chapter. So I'm really looking forward to getting to be a part of that in a couple of weeks. But today we're going to finish off this little section of the gospel of Mark that we've been in. So we were cruising through Mark last year, the first half, and now for the last four weeks, we've been back in the journey. Um, and today, we're going to all be getting uh, an invitation to greatness, an invitation to greatness. That's kind of what I'm calling my talk, basically. Um, but as human beings, I want to put it to you, and I, hopefully I can convince you, that we actually love greatness. We love greatness. Uh, we all desire it, I would say, in at least two ways. Number one, we're all drawn to greatness. We're all drawn to greatness, okay? We love achievements in sport, for example. I mean, just close your eyes and just picture those two photographs, um, uh, Mandela and Francois Pina and Sia Khaleesi. Picture, picture those moments. You can picture those World Cups being won, just great moments. They make your heart sore. I mean, sore, not sore. Sore like an eagle, not sore like pain. Um, and they make movies about them. They star Matt Damon and Morgan Freeman and just amazing stuff. Think about musicians selling out concerts. I mean, who here has been to a concert at Cape Town Stadium over the, over the years? A bunch of you, surely. And amazing experience. I don't know what it was for you, Coldplay, U2, Bieber. I'm sure it was fantastic. The first Bieber one was better than the second Bieber one for me. I'll just let you guys know that. Um, I'll be honest. Um, think about people who have discovered great things or done great things. Okay, I think of uh, people setting foot on the moon or going down to the deepest part of the ocean, the Mariana Trench, in a one-man sub and then tweeting from the bottom. Uh, I can't remember what James Cameron tweeted, but he tweeted something from the bottom and it was amazing. There's just an allure to that. There's an allure to greatness. Movies, doesn't even have to be, it doesn't even have to be nonfiction. It can be fiction and we're still drawn to it. Maximus Decimus Meridius still lights our flame 20 years on uh, after Gladiator premiered. It captivates us. So we are drawn to it. But also, I would say, um, a lot of us seek to be great. We want to pursue it for ourselves. Again, okay? we tie up worth and value and identity and purpose and meaning in the things that we've done and the things that we've achieved or we hope to achieve or the status or the influence that we can have. And it can be in a bunch of things in life. It could be your career. Um, it could even be hobbies and very, you know, sort of side things in your life that actually you pour yourself into to make yourself great or to come across as great. And I just think of the, the rise of online influencers as like a thing. I don't even want what you want to call it, but online influencers are a thing. People, um, it's a whole part of marketing strategies of your products these days. I know H&M, um, Albury, who's part of our evening meeting, she had to go to a marketing thing in Joburg and the whole thing was hustling with online influencers and getting to know them. Random people who've got lots of people that follow them, and they'll just say, I'm using this toothpaste, or I'm wearing this shirt, and it's amazing. But it's this thing of we've built online platforms. We've displayed skills to people. Sometimes we've just made videos, and because we made videos, we became famous, and now we make more videos. It's how our world works. We want to pursue greatness. And I don't know if you're like me, 
and you're under 35, and it could be the same for, for those older, but I know there's just been an immense pressure on our generation to achieve and achieve young. Um, and I think it's because you've had so many people who just like blew up on YouTube or this happened or this happened. And if you, if you feel like you haven't achieved that thing or invented that thing or made that amount of money or received that accolade by whatever, 25, 30, 35, you, you kind of feel like you're a bit of a failure in some ways. I think a lot of you will know what I'm talking about here. You thought you would have made it by this point in your life or been more famous or been more successful. And then there is just this massive amount of pressure to be significant and to count. And that was kind of my, one of my biggest meltdowns in my life was seven years ago where I basically realized the thing that I thought I was going to do with my life um, hasn't happened and probably now isn't going to happen. I, I was going to make this movie. I was going to write, direct, star. And basically, I was just getting too old and I, I saw the dream drifting. And I probably had a massive, massive, massive meltdown. Um, I was, I was basically a nobody when I thought I was going to be a somebody in my sort of frame of reference and view of life at that point. And so this is something we all move towards and do in some, some shape or form. We all attempt to justify our existence in some, in some way before people. And I would say even people who don't say that they want to be great and they actually say, no, I want to be a joke or I, I want to be the class clown. I even say they want to be great at being a joke or being the class clown, okay? They want to achieve at being underachievers, basically. I think that's just how we roll. And I think this desire comes from a few places, um, but I think it definitely comes down to at least two sources, two sources, two uh, things where greatness flows from under the surface, and they can subconsciously govern us. I would say they do subconsciously govern us. And these two things are power and approval, power and approval. Okay, two things that can motivate all of us, things that we can hope in, things that we can use our time, our energy, our resources in order to secure power and approval. And think about it. If you're great, if you're great at something or you become great at something, typically what happens, you will start to have more power over people or more power over situations in life. And uh, you will get approval from a, a person or a community and whatever, whatever that looks like. So power and approval are two things that come to us through greatness. And they're not inherently bad. Power is not inherently bad. I wouldn't even say approval is necessarily inherently bad. But they can hurt us and they can hurt others when um, they become too big a thing in our lives. And so today, what Jesus is going to do in the Gospel of Mark from this little story is he's going to throw out, as I said earlier, an invitation to greatness. But he's going to take our desire for greatness and he's not going to shut it down. He's not going to stamp it out, but he's going to try and redirect it. That's his, that's his agenda for your and my life today. He wants to uh, redirect our agenda for greatness. And so here's a question to just ponder on and have it in the back of your head throughout the time. And we'll come back to it right at the end. An honest moment. Have an honest moment with yourself here. How, I'll phrase it in the personal. How do I honestly define greatness and whose approval am I after? So let me ask you that now. How do you honestly define greatness and whose approval are you really after? Just think on that for 20 seconds. Just ponder that question. Maybe start answering your honest answer right now and then we'll, we'll move forward. Okay. So here's the plan. That's where we're going. I'm breaking down the text into three, three parts. The setup, the lesson, and the significance. The setup, the lesson, and the significance of the lesson. And uh, 
if you're a Christ follower, which is probably most of us in this room, um, let's learn from our master today. Uh, we're his apprentices. He's our master, and he wants to teach us and mold us and shape us. So let's lean in and listen to him. And for those of us who don't identify with Jesus at this point in your life, you're here for whatever reason, um, you're welcome. And I really hope that Jesus um, reveals something of himself to you today, um, that you would see who he is. You would see the importance of this figure in history, um, and you would open your heart up and, and allow him to, to have his way with your heart and your life today. Um, because he's got an invitation for you as well, an invitation to greatness. And so let's jump in. The setup. Okay, where are we? Jesus is with his disciples. He's on a mission to go to Jerusalem um, towards his death, and he told them that. And on the way, they went up the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw him transfigured into glory with Moses and Elijah. They then came down the mountain. Last week, we saw that they met a demon-possessed boy and his dad, and they had an encounter there where they struggled to cast out this demon. And Jesus eventually jumped in, and now we pick up the story from here. Verse 30, Mark 9, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So Jesus, he's, he's teaching his disciples on the, on the road, and in, I would say that's typically how he still teaches us. Jesus doesn't lock us away in classrooms. This is the closest thing we have once a week to a classroom. But actually, Jesus teaches us on the road. He teaches us on the job, in the, in the school of life. He sort of refines us by hammering us on the anvil of reality, and he, he shapes and molds us on the way, on the journey. And if you notice, unlike the first half of his ministry, which we looked at over last year, where Jesus was attracting huge crowds, and there was lots of um, buzz and excitement. Now he's sort of single-mindedly going to Jerusalem, and he's basically just wanting to prepare his small group of disciples for what's ahead of them, and then the life that they're going to be leading after that. And so that's why he's not wanting the big crowds, but focusing on this, this small crew. And he brings clarity again, about what's going to happen to him. He brings clarity again. He tells them the son of man, that's himself, is going to be killed. And after three days, rising, rise again. He keeps coming back to this point. That's why Mark repeated here. He keeps coming back. And it's not new information, but it's a revision lesson again for his disciples, hoping that like we were, when we were at school, we had math revision and English revision. He's trying to get it into their minds, what is happening. But they keep hearing it, but they they still are not grasping it. That's a massive difference. They keep hearing Jesus, but they're just not grasping it. They don't understand. And then I love it. They say this, they're afraid to ask him. I love that that gets put in there because if you remember the last time someone questioned Jesus on this thing of Jesus going to die, um, they got called Satan by Jesus. And so I think everyone's a little like, ooh, we don't want to get taken down like Peter got taken down. Let's, like, let's maybe keep our stupid questions to ourselves and you know, not asking. But um. I would say they actually need to be asking their question. It's not a stupid question. Peter got shut down because he, he rebuked Jesus. And I think the best thing they could have done here, here is ask for clarity, ask Jesus and say, help me grasp what it is you're saying about yourself. And I would say part of the reason the disciples also are struggling to grasp it is I think somewhere deep down, they don't want to grasp it. They've got this view, like we've said previously, of Jesus being this political military Messiah, and they're going to be standing next to him as his sort of, you know, knights of the round table, and they're just picturing greatness, and this is just not fitting with their picture, and so I think they're just kind of pushing it down and and somehow don't want to grasp what he's telling them. 
But friends, I would say to you, every single person needs to ask Jesus for understanding about his life, death, and resurrection. Every single person today alive needs to ask Jesus for understanding about himself, about this figure from 2,000 years ago. Every single person should investigate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Alpha is a fantastic opportunity to do that, to even look at the actual facts and the data. But I mean, Jesus is such a colossal figure. I think it would be unwise to just ignore him. His death and resurrection are the very thing Christians bank their lives on. It's the central claim of our faith. It's the message we've been given to the world. And if it's not true, if what Jesus says about his life, death, and resurrection is not true, it is of no value at all. And Christians should be the most pitied people in the world. But if it is true that Jesus died and he rose again from, from death, it is of infinite value and infinite importance for every single human being. So every... Every human should not be afraid to ask Jesus, hey, help me understand what's going on here. What is this about Jesus? The apostle Paul said, for I delivered to you, church in Corinth, when he wrote to them, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day. Jesus was heading to the cross to pay for our sins that have separated us from God and caused havoc in the world. And it's what we call the gospel. And we're never going to stop talking about it. We're never going to stop singing about it. It's the good news that we have for the world. And that's what we talk about every time here. And if, if you're still exploring Jesus and you're here today, A, Alpha is a great thing to go to. But two, right now, why don't you just say a prayer under your breath and say, Jesus, I actually, help me understand. I'm not convinced. I really think this is possibly all a load of rubbish, but help me understand. Or if you're, if you're leaning in, you're like, I want to understand. Pray what the person prayed last week. Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief, help my unbelief. That's my invitation to you right now, to ask Jesus to open your eyes as we continue going through this. So we keep going, verse 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked the disciples, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest so Capernaum is Peter's hometown, so they're probably in Peter's um, house here. And on the road, they, they didn't want to ask Jesus, if you remember, for further understanding. Now they don't want to answer Jesus, I think because of shame and embarrassment. Shame and embarrassment. Let's be honest. Talking about how legit you are in front of people doesn't always go down really well anyway. Least of all uh, with Jesus. Uh, and least of all after Jesus is what, what he's just spoken about. He's literally spoken about suffering and death. And all they can literally talk about is their own status and awesomeness. That's literally what the conversation is about. And I think it's interesting that they obviously knew how shameful the conversation was and yet had it anyway. Um, and I think we do, we do this often. You know, it's one of those things where, hey, it seemed like a good idea at the time, the conversation or the, the thing you went and did. And then when you're asked to articulate it or asked, asked to articulate why you did it, you're like, nah, in hindsight, 2020, not a good call. But the human condition, I think, is just so interesting. This is how we roll all the time. We, we know what we desire um, is something we shouldn't desire, but we desire it anyway. Or there are uh, questions that we should ask, and we don't ask them. Or there are things that we should not ask about that we are just absolutely fascinated by and drawn to. And I love it because um, Jesus could have picked a bunch of awesome people to be his disciples, if there are these awesome people out there, okay? And sometimes we think that he picked the amazing people and he picked the A-team, but he picked the C-team. He picked the C-team and they're like us. They're imperfect. They get it wrong a lot of the time. They're clueless half the time. They're bumbling in the dark because they try to follow Jesus. They're unworthy of him, just like you and me. 
And that's a beautiful place to, to start uh, before we get into Jesus' lesson right now, is just to acknowledge, hey, us and the disciples, we're very much alike. We all jostle for position in some shape or form. We all want to seek for greatness. So here's the lesson now, the crux of it. Verse 35. And so he sat down and he called the 12. He takes the seat. It's like a classic posture of the rabbi doing his teaching now. He takes a seat. And he begins to teach by giving them an invitation. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If anyone would, that's the language of invitation. Actually, this comes up twice in the Gospel of Mark, and it came up when I preached last time. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And now he uses that phrase again. Here's an invitation. If anyone wishes to be first, if anybody wishes to be great, if anyone here wishes to be great and to receive the highest approval, they must be last of all and servant of all. It's actually, again, sometimes like Jesus, it's actually very clear, this one, and it's actually very simple. Okay, He just basically radically redefines greatness. You think it's this and this and Maximus and Rome and the empire and all these things. And he says, greatness is not about being better than others. It's about serving others. Greatness is not about exercising power. It's about being an exemplary person with humility. That's what Jesus is talking about here. This is Jesus' definition and his pathway to greatness. And Jesus said, greatness is something you all desire. I know it. Disciples, here we are. I know. I can see it in your eyes. I heard you muttering about it on the road. Let's rechannel that now to something healthy, something good, something purposeful, something life-giving, the ultimate approval. And the truth is, sometimes God brings us low and makes us last. He'll do that in our lives from time to time. And it's not a pretty thing and it's not a nice thing, but I would say let's have our spiritual antennas open when he takes us from first to last in whatever situation, because he's actually trying to help us. He's actually trying to set us up on the pathway to glory there in some shape or form. Be last of all, and servant of all. Like, like his message about himself, it's very easy to hear, but can be pretty tough to grasp. Very, very easy to hear right now. I'm hearing it myself, but man, this can be difficult to, to grasp. So Jesus then says, cool, let's try an object lesson with everybody. Let's try get this teaching to head home. And so verse 36 to 37, and he took a child. This is Peter's house. So it could have been one of Peter's cousins or maybe even Peter's son because Peter, Peter was married. He took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And in that culture, children had no status. They were literally the lowest of the lowest in society. And that's a little different for us today. Um, that's, that's not typically how, how we view children, although I think we can have that attitude towards children from time to time. Um, we, we can phrase things like, um, you got to do that while I'm stuck with the kid. And that's, that's not a terrible thing to say. I was with Harrison the whole of Friday um, while Mish was teaching, and I could have said that. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. But sometimes we just do that. We kind of put children as a slightly lesser thing. Kids Rock is happening right now. And I would say that there are a lot of people in this world, maybe even this room, that think like, yeah, that's cool, but to preach on stage, that's the A game, that's the A team. And I would say, no, that's not, what, that's not what we're about here. That's not what we're about. What is happening in Kids Rock is of utmost importance. 
feeding young minds the beauty, truth, and love of Jesus. And so we're not like that culture, but we can be from time to time. So Jesus, he puts this child in the middle and he, he takes him up in his arms. That's just amazing. Jesus has such affection, such warmth. Jesus has warmth and affection for people. He has warmth and affection for you. I want you to know that. But this child represents the lowliest in their culture. And what Jesus is saying to them and saying to, to us now is he's, he's trying to make a point about the lowliest people in our culture, the lowliest people around us in our world today, whoever they might be people that the world might not deem great based on their economy or uh, who, who gives the definition of greatness. So close your, close your eyes and just imagine, who are we talking about here? We're talking about people who have little power, little influence. Who's going to come to mind? People are going to come to mind. We're talking about those whose approval no one is after. So there's people in your life whose approval you don't really care about. That's who Jesus is talking about here. People who are often ignored, people who are dependent on others. You can open your eyes. They were closed there. Jesus says to become great, to become great is to receive those people. The people that came into your mind right now, they could have been actual, like an actual person you know. It could have been a, a, a type of person, an archetype. To become great is to open your life to those, to love and serve those who actually can't repay you often or can't elevate you, or can't make you feel part of like an inner circle and like you're in with the it crowd. That's who Jesus is calling us to be drawn to, to love, to serve. And I would say greatness, Jesus would say this, greatness looks like serving and loving everybody. It's not, it's not, it's not to the exclusion of anybody else. But what he's saying is if you really want to know if you're seeking greatness according to God's scale and economy and for God's approval, Look to see how you treat those that you could get away with not treating well. That's the sort of litmus test that Jesus has here. That's the litmus test. That's the lesson here from Jesus. And let me make two quick disclaimers here. Two quick disclaimers. Um, one, it's going to involve discernment. It's going to involve discernment. Okay? Just sometimes blindly giving someone whatever they ask for is actually not the best way of loving and serving that person in that moment. And we can be incredibly unwise and unhelpful sometimes when we just give out handouts. I think there are, there are, there is, there's a whole bunch of reasons to say, let's seek discernment in that area. That's the first thing I'd like to say, the first disclaimer. The second disclaimer is this. You might look around the world today and you go online and you might say, hey, Carl, there actually seems to be uh, uh, a lot of people and a lot of uh, uh, drive to serve the lowly of this world and to seek justice and move towards uh, things like this. And actually, Carl, if I get super involved in justice issues, um, I can get pretty accepted and I can get a lot of approval from a bunch of people um, that is pretty cool out there. And I would say to you, um, there's totally an element of truth in that. There's 100% an element of truth in that, definitely. And there has been a rising tide of justice for the poor and justice for the marginalized. And a lot of that we have to honestly thank God for and say, that's an amazing thing of your grace just pouring out upon mankind and say, thank you, Jesus. What you'll notice I'll say is that these movements typically have come in uh, parts of the world where Christianity has had an impact and maybe is more in a post-Christian space now, but it's typically not happening in pre-Christian societies. But here's the point where we need to be discerning. That there is a difference between the world's definition of good and the kingdom of God. 
Those are two different things. And just because something goes under the banner of justice doesn't make it godly or biblical. And so here's the key not to miss in what Jesus said here in this verse. These three little words, in my name. Underline those words, highlight those words. They are huge because you can do a lot of work for people who are the lowest of the low. And you might do it in the name of justice, but it might have nothing to do with the name of Jesus. This is huge. Justice needs a law and justice needs a judge. And if your law is not based on God's law for justice, and if, it's, if, if, if God is not the judge, but people's approval is the judge, then you can do a whole bunch of stuff and get people's approval and not get the approval of Jesus. And that's not what we want to be. This is not what we're after. That's doing the same thing, achieving greatness and having power in the eyes of the culture and approval from a bunch of people online or elsewhere. And that's exactly what Jesus is actually trying to stop us from doing here. So those are just my two disclaimers. But the lesson stands, and it stands strongly. Receiving the lowly in Jesus' name is the way to greatness. Receiving the lowly in Jesus' name is the way to greatness. But what's the significance? What's the significance now of this? That's the lesson. Brilliant. So let's read again verse 37. And draw out this final thing here. Verse 37. Whoever, we're reading it again. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Two main things here we can't miss. Number one, it's significant because if you cannot receive the lowly in the world, you cannot receive Jesus. If you can't receive the lowly, you can't receive Jesus. Jesus was the lowest of the low, literally. He was the lowest of the low. He was born in a stable. He was a peasant. He was a man of poverty. He had nowhere to lay his head. He went to a cross. By the time he died, no one in that world would have thought he was anything but the scum of the world. Okay, died naked, ashamed, mocked till his dying breath. That is low. And so if we don't have categories for receiving the, the lowest or the perceived lowest in our society, we're not going to have categories to receive Jesus himself because that's exactly who he was. That's exactly who he was, the lowest. We'll miss him. Like the disciples, we'll hear his teachings, but we won't be able to grasp them. And we'll hear his calls for our life, but we won't be able to grasp it. And we'll hear what he says about himself and what he's done, but we won't won't be able to grasp it. So the path to greatness starts with receiving Jesus. And this is the thing, the disciples just could not understand what Jesus was saying about himself because they were unwilling to accept a lowly Jesus. They wanted the king. They wanted, they wanted Maximus, basically, in their mind to overthrow Rome and the evil emperor. And what they were getting was a suffering peasant from Galilee who was going to be beaten, mocked, and killed. And they could not reconcile, reconcile it. And therefore, they could not receive Jesus. And I think we need to recognize this is still a massive stumbling block in our day and age. This is still a massive stumbling block in our culture. And it might be a stumbling block for some of you here. What does this random person from 2,000 years ago really have to do with my life now and all the issues I'm going through and all the global crisis we're facing? And you're not alone. You're not alone. And there was an amazing debate. You can go Google it. Uh, John Lennox versus Richard Dawkins. Uh, classic atheist Christian debate. Many of you might have looked, seen it or at least watched something similar. Um, John Lennox is a professor, a mathematics professor from Oxford, 
Richard Dawkins is probably one of the most well-known, if not the most well-known atheist in the world. He wrote The God Delusion in 2006. He really spearheaded the new atheist movement. And they're having this fascinating debate. Um, and they're talking about all these wonderful things, the, the, the hugeness of the universe and the, the, the galaxies and the expand, expanse of it and, and the intricacies of biology and a human eye. And at one point in the debate, um, Dawkins gets pretty frustrated with Lennox. And he basically says something along these lines. Why, Lennox, do you talk about these beautiful cosmic realities and then keep bringing it back to this narrow parochial peasant man named Jesus? I just do not understand your fascination with him. Honest moment. Honest moment. And what Dawkins misses, and perhaps some of us might miss, is that talking about the great, amazing things of the universe and this peasant Jesus, the suffering servant, is to be talking about the very same thing. It's this great paradox of the person of Jesus and his work on the cross. And if you miss the small, you miss the big. That's the point here. He is both infinite greatness and last of all. He's both infinite greatness and servant to all on his cross. Okay, remember what Jesus called himself right at the beginning when he's teaching his disciples there. The son of man, the son of man, he calls himself. You go and read about the son of man, which is where he's getting this from in the book of Daniel. This is the son of man. To the son of man will be given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. And then Jesus said, the son of man is gonna be delivered into the hands of men and they'll kill him. And when he's killed after three days, he'll rise again. The way Jesus got his dominion and his glory and his greatness is through his lowly servant obedience to his father. That's, that's his way to greatness. That's how he got there. That's how the son of man achieved what the son of man was meant to be getting. He was motivated by his obedience to God, which we've chatted about recently, and his radical love for you and me. Those two things motivated Jesus to go the lowly servant route to open up this kingdom for himself and for us. And this is significant thing number two, because if you can't receive Jesus, you can't receive God. You don't receive this peasant man from 2000 years ago. You do not receive the God of the universe. They're one and the same. You have to recognize Jesus for who he is, for who he says he is, for who he actually was for what he says about life, for what he says about you, for what he says about the universe, because he's God in the flesh. And you can't know God unless you recognize that you're a sinner by nature and choice, and you need what Jesus came to do on the cross to pay for your sins in order for you to be reconciled to God and have a new heart and a new life and be part of the kingdom that he's building. And if that's you today, if that is you today, that you came in here, you hadn't accepted Christ You thought maybe you can do a bunch of things to be right with the God of the universe, or maybe you didn't even realize there was anything wrong between you and the God of the universe. Jesus says otherwise, and he says, trust me. Trust what I did on the cross is enough to reconcile you to God and start you off on a new trajectory. And for the rest of us, for the rest of us, those of us who have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, we've got a new heart, we've got a new life, we're in relationship with God. Let's follow our Lord through lowliness to true greatness. Let's follow our Lord through lowliness to true 
greatness. And what's that going to look like? What's that going to look like? This is what it's going to look like. We've all got gifts. We've all got resources in this room to some degree or another. We've all got a certain amount of status, a certain amount of power, a bunch of networks that are all to be used in obedience to God and service of others who don't have those things that we have. That's what this is going to look like. And I love some of the stories from this community. Uh, I want to just talk about paradigm shift for 20 seconds here and just say paradigm shift is a prime example of this. A bunch of people who, who have experience and life and network and resources pouring them out to raise up young entrepreneurs in, in, the, in the back building here to set them up on new lives, new trajectories, and people with money pooling it together to uh, help uh, fund those micro businesses. That is a perfect example of what Jesus is talking about here. Leveraging what we have, coming low and serving people who don't have what we have to set them up and make them great. And St. Augustine said, because of sin, we are curved in over ourselves. We naturally put ourselves first. But the truth is Jesus has died and that too has died in us. We've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are set free from sin to think and love and serve others. Think about love and serve others. So some of you might have questions as we close here, okay? You might think that, you might be asking, does this mean that I'm not going to achieve what I actually want to achieve in life? Does this mean I'm actually not going to have the the status that I actually thought I was going to have or I'm still keen to have? And the answer is yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. But you will have a share in the glory and greatness of Jesus Christ in his kingdom. Now and when he returns, the rewards will be unimaginable. Unimaginable. So friends, power and approval. Coming back to where we began, power and approval. You might still think, what's so wrong with them? All of this, and I might still think that. I will say to you that the pursuit of these two things can govern your lives. If you, if you let these things drive you to greatness, they can govern your lives. They can rob you of happiness. They will exhaust you. These two things can be terrible, terrible, terrible masters. And even when you think you're doing the right thing, they end up being these two false gods who don't love you. They didn't make you. They can break you when you try to live for them. And they don't live up to what they promised you. And some people in this room still spend their lives trying to get the approval of people, their friends. Maybe it's a parent still. And Jesus wants to come today and says, change your economy. Change your economy. Change the person whose approval you want. And actually, let me end on this, and the band can come up. Let me end with this. Jesus has died on our behalf so that we could be united to him, so that when God looks at us right now, he already says approved. He already says approved. You think you need to strive and you need to justify your existence. You don't. God has justified you in Jesus. So how do you define greatness, really? How do you define it? And whose approval are you after? I hope that you can take that question and this week think about it, mull over it, and hopefully God starts changing your answer from what is an honest answer to a new honest answer that's more in line with what he's got for your life. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing in response. Father,
thank you for today. We thank you that you're a God who cares about us. You care about what power and approval can do in our lives. You care about how the pursuit of greatness can consume us. And yet, you are a God of infinite greatness. You have a kingdom that is going to be amazing for us to taste and experience. God, help us recognize you as the God of infinite greatness and the one who gets down and serves, the one who loves his people to the point of death. Thank you, Jesus, that you were in the very form of God and yet you didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped, but you emptied yourself, taking on the very nature of a servant to the point of death. Jesus, reveal your love to us today. Reveal your approval of us today so that we would be free. And God, reorganize our hearts, reorganize our minds so that we would define greatness according to your terms and we would value things according to your economy, not the world's. And that we would see the approval, the ultimate approval of the one who will one day say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us to desire to live for your approval of the approval. Because that'll be the best thing for us, the best thing for the world, 